This is a reminder you're listening to the delayed broadcast here on Faith FM. If you would like to listen to the live show live and participate in the quiz and the prizes and all the other fun things that happen on Faith FM Breakfast Show, then simply download the Faith FM app available on Apple or Android platforms. Clue number five, or sorry, clue number four for our quiz this morning. Quote from Oof. the book of the Bible that this is. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do, not what to do, not what... This is a complicated... <laughs> try that again. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, to, I do. And if I do what I do, not want to do, I agree that the law is good. Wow, what a quote. If you know where that's from, give us a call, 1-800-324-843. Send us a text, 0491-064-669, and you will get a copy of The Great Controversy. Here we go, Lyle. Welcome back, everybody. This is Encounter with God. You're with Lyle Southwell with the month, with the weekly, daily, whatever it is, update on Bible prophecy. This morning we're getting continuing into Daniel chapter 11, and we kind of need to finish it off today, so we might move fairly rapidly through all of the history that we've got to cover. What is fascinating about today's Bible study is that we're going to be moving right down through to modern history. In fact, some of the fulfillments that we're going to be talking about are things that possibly took place during your lifetime. There's certainly things that took place during my lifetime, so if you're a Generation X like I am, then there's every possibility that you've seen some of these things happen. But before we go there, we just need to have that quick reminder of that there is Faith FM app. We would love you to download that app. Now, this is going to be particularly important because over the next few weeks of the coronavirus lockdown, one of the things that we're planning to do is have a church service Bible study on air. Now, stay tuned to hear more about this. We have lots more to announce in relationship to it, but we have a lot of people who on the weekend, they go to church. Possibly the most popular thing to be involved in is small group Bible study. And we're looking at ways that we can bring that to you on air. You can call up on the phone. We're not going to catch coronavirus if you call us on the phone. So we're going to, God willing, hope run a Bible study and you'll be able to just call us up and we'll go from there. So that's uh, something that is in the pipeline and hopefully we'll be able to pull that off for you. So you will definitely need to have the Faith FM app that will guarantee that you've got a perfect signal getting the live show. You see, if we do it on Saturday morning, you won't get it till Sunday morning. If we do it on Sunday morning, you won't get it till Monday morning. And it just doesn't quite work the same if you are not getting it live. So you're going to need to have Faith FM Australia app on your phone so that we can take you through the coronavirus lockdown. Wow. What a time in which we live. Who would have ever thought that we would have seen something like this? Whoever even dreamed, you know, go back to Christmas time and New Year's when we're all celebrating and having fun as you do at that time of year. Who would have dreamed that by the middle of March, the whole place would be just shut down? And shut down by a virus that didn't need to exist. I mean, the, if we if we had all followed the Bible, this virus would simply not exist. Because this virus came about as a result of people eating animals that the Bible says that they shouldn't eat. Okay, the other thing, of course, is that this virus is a sign of the times. The Bible says that pestilences or diseases on a global scale will be a sign that Jesus is coming back. And once again, we can just kind of add it to the list, can't we? It's all happening. Anyway, let's go to our Bible study. We were, we were somewhere around verse 26, 27 of chapter 11. And so let's go Back to verse 25, um, the Bible speaks about the king of the north stirring up his, up, up, you know, um, his power and courage against the king of the south. And so we noted that Caesar Augustus by this stage is now ruling in the north. That's Octavius or Octavian. And he stirs up, you know, Mark Antony. These guys 
standard form to try and virate, which is a rulership of three. And of course, that's never going to happen. Lepidus, the other member of the triumvirate, is, is finished. And so now there's just two. And you can imagine you've got a massive empire, the greatest empire the world has ever seen. And you've got two people ruling it. How successful are you going to be at that? Well, Mark Antony, he's down in Egypt and he's gone native. He loves Egypt. He's become a great Egyptian fan of all things Egyptian. And of course, he is desperately in love with Cleopatra. It seems that she is quite a striking person who uses her feminine power to control the politics of what is taking place in the world. We find that Mark Antony, Caesar Octavius, is coming after him, to cut a long story short. Caesar Augustus, or Octavian, has a much smaller army, but they're trained veterans, whereas, well, Mark Antony has an Egyptian army of conscripts. He has a much larger army. He has a much larger fleet, at least outnumbers Caesar Augustus by, you know, a ratio of two to one. And so he should really win this battle just on the basis of numbers, but he doesn't. They meet at the Battle of Actium in 31 BC. And when Cleopatra just turns and runs, then Anthony follows. And when Anthony follows, the rest of the fleet follows and they're completely defeated. So from this point forward, 360 years, the Bible spoke about a year, a time, I should say. And a time is a year, and that's 360 days. So if we move forward from there, if we use that as our starting point for the time prophecy that we had in verse 24, where vice plans from the stronghold of Rome, but only for a time, only for a year. 360 days to a year, day symbolizes a year. So he's going to devise his plans from the stronghold of Rome for a period of 360 years. And if verse 25 is giving us the starting date from that, that is going to end in 330 AD. And so we would expect, according to, if we're reading this prophecy, we would read it and go, okay, that means that in 330 AD, we're going to expect Rome to become, come to its end as the center of the world. We could also go the other way and work our way backwards and say, well, Rome ended in 330 AD. Let's go backwards from there. And what date does that bring us to? Well, that brings us to 31 AD. And we simply ask ourselves the question, was there a massive battle in 31 AD in which the the king of the north and the king of the south clashed with, with each other and right there we find the battle of Actium which was you know one of the biggest battles between the members or if not the biggest battle between the various members of the triumvirate and so this has all taken place in verse 26 those who eat the portion of uh, the king of the north's delicacy shall destroy him so Mark and sorry the king of the south's delicacy shall destroy him so Mark Antony's delicacies his army is swept away Cleopatra deserts him. His Egyptian army deserts him and goes over to Caesar Augustus. His Libyan army goes over to Caesar. Finally, Cleopatra betrays him and he commits suicide. The Bible says he falls down slain. And to summarize, in verse 27, the Bible says, Both Caesar Augustus and Mark Antony shall be bent on evil. And they shall speak lies at the same table, but they will not prosper. For the end will still be at the appointed time. And that's exactly what takes place. They definitely speak lies at the same table. They have all of these alliances with each other. And at the whole time, they are plotting to destroy each other. Bible says in verse 28, Then he shall return to his own to his land with great riches. Of course, there's going to be plundered from Egypt. is a place that is dripping in gold. And then later still, speaking about Rome, Rome's heart shall be moved against the Holy Covenant, so he shall do damage. Destroying Jerusalem at its temple, I'm adding in, and return to his own land. So here the subject is Rome. The discourse takes us on to the time when he's going to be moved with, moved against the Holy Covenant. Well, that's obviously a reference to the people of God. And during this era, the temple of God, the worship of God. It says he will do damage. He's going, we know that Rome is going to destroy Jerusalem and its temple. And then he's going to return to his own land, having done so. And you can go to the city of Rome today and you can see the Arch of Titus there, which is a, 
a symbol that Titus built of to, to commemorate exactly what exactly what verse twenty eight said that he'd gone down to uh, Israel he had destroyed it um, he had destroyed the temple he had done damage and he had returned to the city of Rome and that's where he built that arch then in verse twenty nine we find the Bible says at the appointed time that is that's a reference to the time that we've been dealing with here. So that's at the end of the time in 330 AD. He shall return and go toward the south. There's going to be a new government formed in Constantinople, but it will not be like the former or the latter. So there's a new government that is formed in Constantinople, but no, it's nothing like the previous Roman Empire. It never has the glory. It never has the power. And so when Constantine moves the capital of the empire from the city of Rome to the city of Constantinople, so that's modern-day Turkey, Rome has been the prize that everybody's wanted for a long time and now there's no seat of government there and they kind of see it as being deserted and Western Rome, just, it just collapses. It initially collapses into 10 separate nations. We've t- spoken about that in other prophecies that cover this period. In fact, all of the prophecies, Daniel 2, Daniel 7, Daniel 8 and 9, cover the collapse of Western Rome. And here we have the same prophecy covering the same thing. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Okay, so we have the collapse of Western Rome here. We have this new government being formed in Constantinople. It's not like the former or the latter. It's weaker than the Western Roman Empire that precedes it. And it's weaker than the Roman Catholic Church that comes after it. So if you go to the West, if you go to Rome, the city of Rome in the West, what happens is that the popes sort of stand up. There's a decree made by Justinian in in the East in Constantinople, and he gives political power to the popes to try and stabilize the system in the West. And when that decree comes into effect in 538, the uh, popes of Rome become the kind of de facto emperors of Western Roman Empire. They take the titles, the political titles of the Roman emperors. They call themselves Pontifus Maximus. We still call the Rome the Pontiff today. That is a title that's come. It's a political title that they've drawn from the emperors that ruled in the past. And they actually become significantly more powerful than the Eastern Roman Empire. And they're able to control the world, the politics of the world, through religion, through superstition, through interdict. And we have this new power that is nothing like any other government that has ever been formed before. And so now we, we, you know, we're introduced to this, we're introduced to the rise of the Catholic Church here. Or it's kind of hinted at in verse 29. And of course, if you've studied Daniel 7, Daniel 8, you know that this is going to be the next stage that we look at. We know that we're going to move from imperial Rome to now start start talking about papal Rome. And that's, of course, exactly what we would expect. You know, the principle of repeat and enlarge, where the prophecy repeats what the previous prophecies covered and then enlarges upon it. Verse 30, the Bible says, for 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 ships from, we're going to say Carthage, under Genseric shall come against him. Therefore he shall be, and I'm adding in there, Genseric. Therefore he shall be grieved and return in rage against the Holy Bible and do damage. So shall he return and show regard for those who forsake the Holy Covenant. So what is it that is taking place here? Well, the Bible speaks, the Bible actually says ships from Chittim. It's a reference to islands and coastlands. We simply have to ask ourselves the question, okay, Western Rome is in the process of collapsing. What actually happened in the West that was a naval attack on Western Rome that aided the collapse of Western Rome? One of the greatest attacks was a man by the name of Genseric. Now he goes and he bases himself in Carthage in North Africa and basically builds a pirate fleet. This is a pirate navy. And for about 40 years, 
He kind of just rules the Mediterranean and he mounts an expedition here, he mounts an expedition there and he, and he just plunders wherever he goes. You know, he just, he just sails up to Rome. He attacks the city of Rome. He spends two weeks gathering all of the treasures of Rome and carting them off to Carthage, all of the wealth. Interestingly, according to history, it's at this time that one of the seven branched candlesticks, one of the menorahs that was taken from the temple in Jerusalem, as a prize by the Roman general Titus, is now taken by Genseric as a prize, and the ship carrying it is lost on its return journey. And so that seven-branch candlestick, that menorah, is still kind of waiting at the bottom of the Mediterranean somewhere for someone to find it. Wouldn't that be the archaeological find of, well, the millennium, I think you would have to say. That would certainly create a stir if that could be found, sitting somewhere on the bottom of the Mediterranean. And with marine archaeology moving forward at the pace that it is, who knows what might be found in the future. Anyway, so this is what takes place. Uh, you've got Genseric. And of course, they raise fleets, naval fleets to go after him. Twice they try and take down Genseric. At one time, they build 1,100 ships. The whole coastline of, you know, of, of the empire is turned into a naval shipbuilding factory and their ships being built everywhere they built this enormous fleet but of course you've got to remember that Genseric he is a he is a veteran sailor he's spent his life on the sea and he gains the weather gauge and when you've got the weather gauge you have control that basically he sets this fleet on fire and historians say that it looks like a burning mountain that has been thrown into the sea. When you stood back and looked at it, it looked like a mountain that was just on fire and this enormous Roman fleet just goes down. The Romans twi try twice and then they just kind of give up because no one's ever going to con to defeat Genseric. We continue on from there. It says, Therefore shall he be grieved and return in rage against the Holy Covenant and do damage. So shall he return and show regard for those who forsake the Holy Covenant. This is a very interesting verse right here because we're moving now into the period of Papal Rome. And we've got rage against the Holy Covenant. The Bible is called the New Testament, the Old Testament. And the, and the covenant is a reference to the other way of reading that is the is the new covenant and the old covenant. And up until this particular point, those who have the covenant have been the Jewish people. But now we've moved on into a period in history where those who have the covenant are Christians. And so when he returns in rage against the Holy Covenant, really what he's doing is raging against the Bible and those who follow the Bible. And now you have not pagan on Christian persecution. You've got Christian on Christian persecution. The Bible says he does damage. He returns and shows regard for those who forsake the Holy Covenant. So we've got a movement here within Christianity because Rome is a Christian empire now. And the Bible says that Christianity at this particular time, political Christianity, powerful Christianity, is going to show regard for those who forsake the gospel message. And so you would expect when you go back to this period in history for there to be a blending taking place or a corruption of Christianity. That's exactly what is happening. And what you find taking place is that Christianity is absorbing paganism. Now, when we look at Constantine, Constantine comes to power, 330 AD, we've spoken about that. And when he comes to power, he looks around the empire and he notices that one in 10 people in the empire are Christian. Everybody else is spread between just you know, a multitude of different religions. He's like, you know, Christianity is the most universal of our religions. So let's, let's make that the state religion, it becomes political. But 
you know, let's make it palatable to all the pagans so all the pagans can join Christianity easily. What they do is they start renaming the pagan gods and giving them the names of saints. And so Jupiter, for instance, becomes Saint Peter. And the statue of Jupiter is you know, taken out of a pagan temple and placed in a church and called Saint Peter. And you can go to Saint Peter's Basilica today and you can see that exact image that is right there today. And you can see people lining up to kiss the toe of Jupiter. Not actually St. Peter that is in the temple, it's actually Jupiter. And so this is one example to the point where Christianity becomes so, so saturated or soaked in paganism that within some forms of Christianity, if you were to remove everything that has a pagan origin, well, nothing would be left. That's a big statement, so feel free to give me a call and challenge me on it and say, hey, what about this or what about that? And I'll be able to show you where it originates in paganism. That does not mean that Christianity disappeared. It does mean that Christianity, true Christianity, people who, people who believed in the Bible and the Bible alone, people who believed in salvation by grace and salvation by grace alone, people who studied their Bibles and knew what the Bible said, doesn't mean they didn't cease to exist. No, they continued to flourish in the more remote regions of the world, but they continued to flourish even though they were bitterly persecuted by the church at this time. When we move on to verse 31, the Bible says, Forces shall be mustered by him. They shall devile the sanctuary fortress. Then they shall take away the daily. Now we've talked about the daily before. We had a great debate on the daily. The daily here is a reference to, well, we're going to take the view and you're welcome to take the opposite view. You're going to come to the same conclusion. So two ways of getting to the same place. We're going to take the view that this is, this the, the taking away of the daily here is, you know, the, the continual practice of pagan worship which has dominated the world. So paganism is going to be taken away. This is where we find him showing regard for those who forsake the Holy Covenant. So giving honor and giving political power to those who forsake the Bible in favor of a paganized form of Christianity. And then, of course, place there a version of pagan worship that is blended with Christianity. Um, called the abomination of desolation. So this is what the Bible speaks of here in this passage, the abomination of desolation. Now, of course, that's the same abomination of desolation that you find in the symbolic prophecy given in the third year of Belshazzar, Daniel chapter 8. We're going to come back in just a moment and talk about this one.
to be holy and be thou my vision. A lovely little medley by them there. There we go. Before we give the next quiz yes. clue, which nobody has answered yet, so it's Not still quite. up for grabs. Absolutely. I have a question for you about that song. Yep. So, you know, the song is Be Thou My Vision, yep. right? But I have heard a couple of versions of this song that is Lord Be My Vision, because some people don't like the old language of thee and thou and things like that. Would you rather Be Thou My Vision or the newer version Lord Be My Vision? I um I I I'm not a huge fan when things change. So me personally, <laughs> I'd stick with "Be Thou My Vision." I'm also, I really love the classics. I'm also all, yeah. all, I'm all there for the "Be Thou My Vision." The if classics. they really adapt it and change it and really mix it up, then it'd be okay. <laughs> um, our, la- our last clue for today's quiz. This is a quote from the book: "For all have sinned and fall short." Of the glory of God. If you think you know what book that is from, send us a uh, give us a call at one eight hundred three two four eight four three, or send us a text at zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. And if you have the correct answer, you will be getting the Great Controversy by Ellen White from the Conflict of Ages series. Now, Lyle, over to you. Okay, so we've got this symbolic prophecy that is now referenced. And because it's referenced, we find that you know Daniel chapter 11 is moving now into medieval history as we would expect it to do. So it's going to come all the way down through into modern history. And you've got the abomination of desolation being spoken about. This, is, this abomination of desolation is where you have this blended version of Christianity. A Christianity that is half pagan is half Christian. It's like, well, where does one end and where does one start? Now, we've raised the subject of symbolic prophecy and the Antichrist. So the prophecy is going to now focus on the Antichrist. And for the purpose of consistency, what you're going to find is that Rome is the king of the north in this period. And Rome simply changes phases from imperial Rome to papal Rome. And papal Rome takes the place of imperial Rome as the king of the north. That's what we would expect to find. That's what we found in every other prophecy in the book of Daniel up until this point. Now, of course, it's perfectly consistent to have the same symbol, i.e. the king of the north, for imperial Rome as you have for papal Rome. You've got exactly the same concept in Daniel chapter 8, where the little horn is a symbol of both imperial Rome and Papal Rome. This is all the same kind of language and symbolism that we would expect to find. We're also talking about a great power that will have influence over the existence of the prophecy because we now have a power that has kind of rulership over the Bible. And so you're going to find more symbolic language when Gabriel comes down to talk about this particular power. He's going to definitely use more symbolic language because the scriptures and the integrity of the scriptures needs to be preserved And so you're going to find more coded language. But anyway, the Bible continues on. Those who do wickedly against the covenant, the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ, they shall corrupt with flattery. So in other words, we can add in here, of course, we've been talking about this. The papacy that rises during the Dark Ages is a church that is incredibly corrupt. And anybody who studies the history of that will admit that. Even modern popes have admitted that and made you know, very public confessions and asked forgiveness for a lot of the things that took place during the Dark Ages. I still feel that some, a lot of, this is just my opinion, has been terribly downplayed. But needless to say, this is not something that the papacy de- denies. This is something that they admit to. 
So they shall corrupt with flattery, but the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out exploits. We would add in their great missionary exploits. And so we're going to find a great missionary movement that is taking place in places like Ireland and Scotland. You know, we just had we just had St. Patrick's Day about the Roman Catholic St. Patrick from Ireland, who was not Roman Catholic and was not Irish. It's a story for another day. But needless to say, it just goes to show how much history can be changed by those who write the history. We consider what we've got here. You know, they carry out great missionary exploits. Ireland and Scotland and northern Italy. There were, you know, great missionary centers over in the east in places like Edessa and other areas. You go to find these big missionary centers. Ethiopia is another place. And these exploits, these missionary exploits are going to be carried out under the most difficult conditions imaginable. Often the missionaries would go out and come back with a 50% survival rate because if you were caught as a missionary during this time period sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and sharing portions of the word of God that you've written out by hand, your life was on the line. Verse 33, many of those of the people who understand, we're going to put in there, understand the Bible, shall instruct many, and we're going to put in there, leading them to Jesus Christ. For many days they shall fall by sword and famine and by captivity and plundering. And of course we have that parallel verse in Daniel chapter 7 that speaks about the persecution of God's people for 1260 years. And it says, and when they shall fall, they shall be aided with a little bit of help. In other words, there's going to be persecution, but then things are going to get a little bit better. And if we, if we note what takes place in the medieval period, things go down for quite a number of centuries until you have a great reformation that takes place and they're aided and their influence begins to grow. But many shall join them with intrigue. We would use people like, say, Henry VIII of England who established the Protestant Reformation in England by intrigue. Not because he was a believer in the gospel, but because it was politically expedient for him. And there's a lot of this that goes on during the Reformation era. Verse 35, it says, Some of those of understanding shall fall. Some of those who understand the gospel shall fall. And they talk about the Crusades and the Inquisitions that take place during this 1260-year period. To refine them, purify them, make them white until the time of the end. Because it is for an appointed time. So the Bible has given an appointed time for the persecution of God's people. And that's the 1260 day prophecy that you find in Daniel chapter 7. So if you want to know when the time of the end began, you simply study the 1260 day prophecy in Daniel chapter 7. And that's going to give you the year 1798. Yeah, just a little bit over 200 years ago. That's pretty recent. The time of the end is going to begin. And from that point forward, you're going to have an increase in the signs of the times being fulfilled. We have time. We're going to come back and talk more about that. The king shall do according to his own will and shall exalt and magnify himself above every god and speak blasphemies against the god of gods and shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished for that which has been determined shall be done. That's almost a direct quote out of, you know, Second Thessalonians chapter 2. And of course, you know, Daniel chapter 7 and verse 8, where he, you know, stands up and proclaims himself as God, claims infallibility, claims the power to be able to forgive sins, all of those kinds of things. Paul writes about this in quite detail about the Antichrist in Second Thessalonians 2 and verse 4. Verse 37, he shall regard neither the God of his fathers. Why? Because he considers himself to be infallible and to be able to forgive sins. Nor the desire of women. Why? Because he shall institute the evil doctrine of celibacy. Now, Paul's going to speak about this in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 3. He will actually not regard any God. Why? Because he considers himself to be above them all. Verse 38, it goes on. 
In their place, he shall honor a God of forces. And here it speaks of military forces. And so he's going to use military power. And so we could put in there, he will honor a God of military power wherewith he can conduct his crusades and inquisitions. And a God, which is a human being, which the church founders did not know. Well, I'm adding a few things in here, but a God which, is, which the church founders did not know. He will honor with gold and with silver and precious stones and pleasant things. And if you want to see the fulfillment of verse 38, you simply need to do as I've done. On actually been privileged to, on three occasions, do a tour through the Vatican and you see the Vatican Treasury, you see the Vatican Museum. You will never see more gold gathered anywhere in the world than doing a tour through there. The place is just dripping with gold. Now, verse 39, and uh, we're going to come to a couple of controversial verses here. That's okay. I'm going to put forward my thoughts on this, and it's your job to go and study it for yourself. But in verse 39, it says, He shall act against the strongest fortresses with this foreign God, which he shall acknowledge and advance its glory, and cause his church, we're going to add in there, to rule over many and divide the land for gain. How does he do this? He divides it through political maneuverings, even going so far to make salvation a piece of merchandise that can, it's a saleable product. You know, salvation can be bought and sold for profit. Now, in verse 40, it says, at the time of the end, the king of the south will attack him. So we've got to ask ourselves, all right, the king of the north, we understand that as the papacy, who's going to be the king of the south? And we've got to look at kind of, you know, what is the opposite of the papacy that is taking place here? And, you know, we have a religious power. We would look at the opposite of this. And Revelation chapter 11 has a prophecy um, about an anti-religious power that it associates with Egypt. And of course, this is the rise of you know, the French Revolution and communism that takes over the whole world. If I'm the king of the south, we'll attack him. What we're going to have here basically is a nuclear cold war that is going to take place. And the war will ensue and the king of the north will come against him like a whirlwind. There's going to be basically a political alliance between, you know, the United States and the Vatican that brings down uh, communist Europe. Number of modern day, we could add in their chariots and their operators and ships. He shall produce, you know, brings about the economic collapse of Eastern Europe. And he enters those countries and overwhelms them and passes through. He shall also enter the glorious land. Now, there's a couple of different ways of looking at the glorious land. Um, and the simplest way of looking at that is that the glorious land at this time, of course, becomes symbolic of God's church, and so going to be based in God's church. And um, and you know many other countries shall be overthrown. These shall escape from his hand, Edom, Moab, and the p- prominent people of Ammon. Uh, you can add in your piece of uh, commentary there. I'll leave that up to you. Verse 42, he'll stretch out his hand against the countries of the land of Egypt, shall not escape. Once again, this is up for your research. He shall have power over the treasures of gold and silver. Yeah, becoming the wealthiest institution on the planet. That's the papacy today. And over the precious things of Egypt, also the Libyans and Ethiopians will follow at his heels. Verse 44, but news from the east. Well, who comes from the east? And of course, if we go back up to, you know, the, uh, what was it, verse 40 there, where you've got this, this conflict between the king of the north and the king of the south. If you put the Cold War in there, that's, that's within my lifetime and the lifetime of a lot of other people. And of course, we saw the result of that, you know, in the late 1990s, sorry, the late 1980s, early 1990s. But now we come down to, you know, tidings, messages from the east. Well, who is it that's coming from the east? The Bible says, as the lightning comes from the east and shines even to the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. 
and uh, out of the sides of the north. What is in the sides of the north? Well, that's God's throne shall trouble him. Therefore, he goes out with great fury to destroy and annihilate many. This is the last great final time of trouble. He'll plant the tents of his palace between the seas of people and God's church. He shall come to his end and no one will help him because in the very next breath, Michael the archangel is going to stand up. Messiah the Prince will return. And that's our chapter for next week. We're going to be talking about the return of Jesus Christ. So many exciting things happening in Daniel chapter 11. So stay tuned. So 
for a way to turn your life experience into an enriching gift for helping those around you? A counselling degree at Avondale College of Higher Education could provide you a great foundation to assist others through life's difficulties. Study in a personalised environment alongside a fantastic support network and community on our Lake Macquarie campus. Apply to study counselling today at counselling.avondale.edu.au. It's higher education designed for life. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Are drugs or alcohol a problem in your life? Alcohol Drugs Assist, or ADA, is a 12-step recovery program designed to help you escape the hold of addictions in a friendly and judgment-free environment. ADA meets regularly, and if you'd like to attend, give Peter a call or text on 0487 907 879. That's 0487 907 879.
Back to the breakfast show on Faith FM with Gemma and Liam. We have one final clue for the quiz this morning because it still has gone unclaimed. Here we go. What book am I? I am either Romans, Psalms, or Exodus. Nice. So think about the clues we've had. Sorry, I, haven't put, I didn't put your mic on. There nice. You go. Say that again. Thank you. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Oh, nice. Yeah. All right. Nice, guys. Um, you all can so, hear me now. I didn't put the mic. Yeah. Um, so if you think about the questions we've had, the clues we've had previous. And, uh, yeah, I am either Roman, Psalms, or Exodus. If you think you know the answer, give us a call at 1-800-324-843 or send us a text at 0491-064-669. The prize, a reminder again, is a copy of The Great Controversy, written by Ellen White. Fantastic book, very relevant for what's happening in the world around us today. Definitely, you want to get your hands on that. So if you know what it is, give us a call. Send us a text. Speaking of relevant in the world today, our question of the day... Yes, I'm ready. ...is... Something that I think is something we all need to be reminded of every now and then, and especially in the times that we're in. Mm-hmm. Two-part question. Where is Jesus now, and when is he coming back? Oof, good question. Okay, let's tackle the first half of the question first, because that makes sense. Where is Jesus now? Okay, so we know that Jesus was on earth as a human being, and he died, and he resurrected. Now, he hung around for a bit. Once he resurrected, he hung around on earth for a bit because in John's gospel, it says that Jesus ate with the disciples. So, right, we know that he appeared to the different disciples and he said, you know, here, look at my hands and look at my side. Like you can see that I've, I've died and I've resurrected. I'm still here on earth. Okay. So, Jesus was, was still on earth. And before he leaves, uh, he gives his disciples a job to do. You know, go ye therefore and, you know, baptize the nations in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Yeah. yeah. Right. He gives us a job to do and he leaves. Yeah. Okay, and the question is, where does he go? Luke's gospel says that Jesus departed from them and was carried up into heaven. Okay, so now we know that Jesus is up in heaven. Um, And there are multiple verses throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, that talk about Jesus being at the right hand of God. So Jesus being in heaven, 
currently at the right hand of God. Now, you'll also know, if you've been following along with our Encounter with God Bible series that we've been doing, that Lyle has been teaching, you'll know from you, a Lyle. little bit while, a little while ago, from Daniel chapter 8 and verse 14, that specifically talks about the cleansing of the sanctuary. And if you remember back to that Bible study we did all about that verse, we know that this cleansing of the sanctuary is referring to the heavenly sanctuary, the sanctuary in heaven where Jesus is the high priest. And he moves from the holy place into the most holy place to minister on our behalf in heaven, in the heavenly sanctuary. Uh, John 14 verse 2 says, In my Father's house there are many rooms. I go to prepare a place for you. And that's that's Jesus talking. And Jesus is saying that when I leave, when, when I leave this earth, I yep. will go to heaven. And I'm going to be there ministering on your behalf. I'm going to be there preparing heaven for you. Yeah. So that answers your first question of where is Jesus now? Jesus is in heaven ministering on your behalf, preparing a place for you in heaven, which is super cool. Like, absolutely amazing. And you're absolutely right. Something that we need to be reminded of and remember all the time that Jesus is there ministering on our behalf every day. Indeed. Next part of the question. When is he coming back? When is he coming back? Um, with the condition of the world today, uh, combined with, like, the time prophecies that we have all throughout the Bible, that leads us to know that the time of Jesus' return is near. Like, we know that Jesus is coming back soon. Uh, I'm going to read a bit of Mark chapter 24, starting in verse 6, which says, And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Now, in other versions, verse 8 actually says the beginning of birth pains. And what we know about birth pains is they get closer together and they get more painful as time passes. And that's meant to be kind of an analogy for the way that the world will be. I can't say that I personally <laughs> understand what birth or pains are. ever will, but I <laughs> pay my respects to all women. They're wonderful. But yeah, the analogy is referring to uh, the time of the end. The time near Jesus' return will be like birth pains. There will be... Um, yeah, things that get closer together and um, move together more quickly and will be more painful as time passes. And I think with the coronavirus and other things happening around the world today, um, yeah, Jesus is coming back soon. And although there is no specific time or day, the Bible tells us to be ready for Jesus's return. Here is vocal union. I am dwelling on a mountain. This the land of Beulah, blessed, blessed land of light, where the flowers bloom forever, and the sun is always bright. I am drinking at the fountain where I Yeah. 
Nora's treasures Nora adorning rich and gay For I've found a richer treasure One that fadeth not away For I've found a richer treasure One that fadeth not away Welcome back. We have reached the time the sad time, the end of the show on a Friday, last one for the week. It's been really fun here in the studio today. It has indeed. Thank you for letting me come and hang out with you for the week. You've done a great job. Really enjoyed it. A reminder, Lyle will be back next week, which is super exciting. Getting on to Daniel chapter 12 in the Encounter with God segment. Fantastic. Oh, gift. We have a gift. We do indeed. Best part of the show, something free to give to you. This morning, we have... If you can eat, you can make disciples, sharing faith in a multi-faith world. Oh, that's cool. So it asks the question, it answers the question rather, what does it mean to be a Christian and share our faith in a multi-faith and no-faith world? Very cool. So give us a call, 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM. And you don't have to answer anything. You can pick that book up for free. If you are the first person through, you will get a free copy. Fantastic. What have we got coming up next week? Uh, next week, as I mentioned, we've got uh, Daniel chapter 12. got another bunch of great guests coming in. Uh, but yeah, coming up next though, John Bradshaw is coming in with his next segment and his, his, his lovely little talk there. Um, but yeah, so don't forget, as we always like to say, you need to talk faith, live faith, act faith, and you will grow strong in Jesus Christ. Bye for now. And we will enjoy having times. See you next week. Have a good one. Thanks for having us. God be with you till we meet again. God be with you till we meet again. By his counsel's guide uphold you. With his sheep securely fold you. Do we meet again? Until we meet again.
positively different. Like a city 